You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, hey, church family, uh, it's a gift to be with you. My name is Jonathan, one of the ministers here, and we're going to continue our series in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, Romans chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 12 and going through 21. If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat around you, it's uh, page 942. So Romans 5, 12 through 21. Uh, Shay talked last week on the first half of Romans of all the amazing blessings that we get in Jesus Christ. We have access to God, that we have peace with God, that we have hope in God, uh, that we get joy in our God, and ultimately that we get God and on and on. We talked about these different blessings we get because of the work of Jesus Christ. And, and almost in a sense, it's been said that it's almost like when, when this chapter begins to hinge on the back end, you could be asking, the audience could be asking, how could so many blessings come through the work of just one person? Or another way to ask it is if there really is so much glory and so much blessing, then why do I look around and see so much that is broken and so much that is difficult and that is hard? And so excited to jump into this text with you. Uh, This morning, let me pray for us, and we'll kind of dive in together. Father, we love you. Just thank you, as always, that your word, under the power of your Holy Spirit, really is enough for your people. Just pray that you'd speak to us in such a way that would change our life, um, the trajectory of our life, the things that are happening right now. I pray you'd speak personally, Spirit of God, to every person in this room, and do something in them that'll extend through them. Uh, For your namesake, amen. When I met my uh, wife, Caitlin, about 12 years ago or so, we started kind of like in a winsome way and like a drawing, not an antagonistic way, just talking about this idea that's well-worn that there really are two types of people. You know, Caitlin was coming from New England and made her way to Dallas. I was coming from Atlanta, uh, still south, made my way to Dallas. And so, I mean, I just began to find out that um, in New England, water fountains are called bubblers. So there's that. And so there's two types of people. There's those that call them water fountains. There's those that call them bubblers. I began to realize there's two types of people. There's those that say toboggans are like something you wear in your head. And then there's others that say like it's it's actually something you get on and like ride down the hill when it's snowing. Hello. So we, I needed more snow in my life growing up. Didn't didn't get to see that. Begin begin to realize there's people that um, they. They grab a soft drink and man, they, we just call it Coke, right? Hello, anyone in the room? Yes. Okay. And there's others that's like, no, that's a soda. Like, what are you talking about? There are those that take the toilet paper and say it should be kind of spun underneath. Anyone here in the room? No shame. Just curious. And then there's those that say uh, rightfully over top. Anyone? Yes. Okay. Um, There are those that say uh, breakfast is reserved in the morning. And then I'm just going to biasly say, I think there are those that say you can enjoy the beautiful bountifulness of breakfast at any time in your day, right? Amen? There's a staff member we used to fight over that topic. Shows how petty we were. But anyway, there really are, in a sense, uh, people have said two types of people. You can get more serious. There's young and old. There's um, healthy, unhealthy. There's in a relationship, out of relationship. There's vote this way, vote that way. Man, we love, don't we? We love polarizations. We love to say there's these people and there's that type of people. Why in the world start? there this morning. Here's why. Because when Paul gets to Romans 5, here's one of the main things he's saying. He's saying, no, like put away all your pettiness, Jonathan and others. There's two types of people. There's those that are in Adam and there's those that are in Jesus Christ. Listen to how a British pastor from back in the day, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it. He says this, should be on the screen. God has always dealt 
with mankind, with humanity, through a head and a representative. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of Adam and what has happened and will yet happen because of Christ. The whole story of the human race, what has happened because of the representation in Adam and what has happened because of the representation in Jesus Christ and what is yet to happen for those in Jesus Christ. So if, you, uh, if you're helped by a table of contents and you like that type of thing, let me tell you where we're going. Uh, verses 12 through 14, we're going to talk about the spread of sin and death. Exciting stuff there. 12 through 14, the spread of sin and death. And then 15 through 21, we're going to talk about the reign of grace and life. And God's going to do that through Paul by taking the first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus Christ, and first contrasting them, and then secondly, comparing them. So the spread of sin and death, 12 through 14, the reign of grace and life, 15 through 21. Look with me uh, first here, um, 12 through 14. I'm just going to read it for us real quick. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So before we jump right into verse 12, I just want you to see what he says in 14. Paul says there that death reigned. Paul's going to use that idea three times in our broader text, 12 through 21, that death reigned, death reigned, death reigned. What's Paul trying to do there? I think one of the things that Paul is trying to do is he's trying to, to say what you and I already know intuitively. He's trying to show us the pervasive and destructive spread of sin and death. In fact, he's going to personify death, as you just saw, as this cruel, wicked tyrant who's sitting on a throne and reigning. And pervasive destruction, darkness, and brokenness are happening as a result of this personification of death on a throne, not the way it's supposed to be. Um, man, we, we know that. Like, we, we don't have to be a Christian to believe that. I don't, think, I don't think you have to have a certain type of degree or standing to believe that. I was on an um, airplane coming back from my hometown, Atlanta, yesterday. One of my family members has um, been in the hospital for a good little bit here these last couple of weeks. And then I was sitting next to a lady who, uh, she was coming back from a really hard funeral. We were just talking about this idea. Like everyone knows that the world's not as it's supposed to be. Everyone knows that something broken. They might not say death reign. They might not say it that way. They might not speak to the pervasiveness of the shadows and brokenness everywhere, but everyone knows something's gone wrong. Where, where you start getting a hitch is why is it that way? How did it get that way? And that's where Paul goes in verse 12. Look with me again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So listen to what Paul says real quick there. By the way, I should have said this, but this is some of the, the heavier like theological weighting in the whole book of Romans. So hello, thank you. I got that one today. It's still beautiful as well. So I'll say this. I, I got two headaches two different times as I was like trying to repair this message. So just strap on your seatbelts, put on those theological whatever you put on and dive in with me. But look what Paul has said. He said, sin entered, how did, how did the world or how did the door open for sin? Here's how it opened. It entered the world through one man, Adam. So Jesus isn't the first guy who did something on your behalf. Secondly, how did that door swing open to let death in? What does Paul say there in verse 12? That death entered the world through sin. And then lastly, he says, how did that door swing open for it to spread to all? Well, death spread to all human beings because all sinned. When you hear that for a second, like, 
Like that, that's a big deal. That's a big contention from Paul. It's not because all didn't have this ideological viewpoint. It's not because all didn't eat enough blueberries, whatever you want to put in there. Like Paul's saying it happened, not for some, not for many, for all, because all sinned. So the pervasiveness and the destructive shadow spread and reign of death is over all because all sin. What does Paul mean by that? Some people would see that and say, well, Paul means that we sinned like Adam. And that for sure is true. All of us continually have sinned like Adam. You've heard the age old analogy, and I've got it with my kids of like, man, they just come out of the womb and you're asking them to do things and they're not doing what you say. Like, don't do that. They immediately do it. Like, we know that. We see this brokenness that we all sin like Adam. But Paul's not saying that. He's saying, this is crucial, that we all sinned in Adam. Going to unpack that for a little bit. This is John Stott. John Stott says this, we all sinned in Adam, not just like Adam. He means that sin isn't just something you do. It's like a disease that you're born with. He means not just imitation that we watched and did the same thing. He means participation. This makes sense to me as a dad, because I see my kids do things and I'm like, I have never done that to anyone or your wife. And I don't know where you came up with that. You know, like last night, um, I probably shouldn't be sharing this. But my son like took a plastic sword and shoved it into his sister's mouth and hurt her. And I'm thinking like, well, I mean, there were some ramifications. Don't worry. We're trying to be good parents. There was discipline. But I'm thinking, where did you, like, I've never done that to your mom. You know, I've never done that to anybody, but we've just got stories like that. But Paul's saying not just imitation, participation. Here's one reason we know it. That verb send is in the aorist tense, okay? And that means it always points to a single past action. So Paul's saying this, everyone send in one single past action. Yes, we send continually and individually, but this isn't what Paul's saying. Paul's talking to origin, like, like, like this genetic disease we inherited versus just an action. We also see it in the immediate context. Look in 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And we have these evidences of how, how we see sin before the law. We see judgment, like in Genesis 3. We see judgment, like in the flood in the Old Testament. But, but more than that, Paul's saying that, that like the law began to show that. Here's what we know. We know that just because the, the law like was a mirror that showed sin doesn't mean that's the first time that sin was given into account. And so it, my, my family has some melanoma in, in our background. Like if I walk up to the mirror and I see an irregularly shaped mole, I don't bust the mirror and get mad at the mirror. The mirror was just showing me what already existed. I go to the doctor. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying like the law, it, it showed the pervasive nature and spread that already existed. Look at 14. He says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. If you ever looked at the genealogy in Genesis, you see this. He died and he died and he died and he died and he died. It's this ongoing rep representation and repetition of the spread of sin and death, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. So let's talk about this for a second. You might be hearing this and you might say, that's not fair. Like you're saying, I didn't just sin like Adam, I sinned in him, like, like he was my representative and because he sinned, I sinned too. And the answer is yes. And here's what we need to know. This is harder for our like Western ears and Western hearts, if, if that's your background. If you come from a more Eastern background, this is a little bit easier for you to understand because most of us of our Western background, we think of ourselves as an island. We think of ourselves as autonomous versus more of an Eastern mindset is solidarity. This idea that, that someone could stay in your place and win for you and lose for you. And this is the language 
of the scriptures. So think about David and Goliath. It's one of the most famous, like David goes up to that hill. And if David's going to win, all of Israel will win. If Goliath loses, which he does, all of the Philistines lose. That's why they all run away and his one loss because he was their representative head. This might make more sense with sports. Not many people are going to relate to this, but um, my Georgia Bulldogs had a really rough loss yesterday. We just got beat up. And, um, and so you're laughing, so you definitely can't relate. But I, uh, um, man, you know, what's so funny is when my team loses, it's them. Caitlin's like, what do you think? I'm like, they're playing really bad. She's like, interesting, because last week when you were winning, it was, we're awesome. You know, so it's like this representation, like when I like what they're doing, I'm in with them. But isn't this true? Like the Dallas Cowboys, uh, sorry to throw salt in the wound, but they're, they got some of the most penalties right now in the, in the NFL. They're like leading the way in that sense. And if, if an offensive lineman goes off sides, what happens? The whole team is penalized. If a receiver catches a touchdown, the whole team, the whole team gets that. Or maybe some more other ideas, like think about a lawyer. If you've ever gotten one or hired one, if that lawyer wins the case, you win the case. If they lose, you lose. Or even more providentially right now, we elect representatives, hello, in our country. And you know, if a representative on our behalf says we're going to war, we're all going to war. They don't let us think about that and vote on it. That would take too long and not go super well for us to vote whether we should go to war or not. We trust the representative head to say we're going or we're not going. But that, that takes a little bit for us to like lean into that. But this whole text hinges on that idea that in one representative, Adam, we're going to see uh, set, den, uh, I can't, can't talk, sin, death, and judgment. And another representative, Jesus, we're going to see righteousness, life, grace, and goodness. And so uh, Paul is, is framing that analogy for us. But then as well, there's good news here. There's good news that there's representation. Though it might be like hard for us to begin to see right away, there's good news that we lean into this type of idea and representation. Here's why. We've already seen this in Romans. Shea has preached this, that if we had to represent ourselves before God's heavenly throne, we would have no defense at all. We've talked about this from from Romans 3. Just turn back here, 20. It should be on the screen. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans has told us that our mouth would be stopped. We couldn't be justified. We'd have no defense. It would be there, us there on an island if there was no representative. So how is it good news that Adam's disobedience is our disobedience? There's a man commentary, if you're wanting to dive deeper into the book of Romans, it's been helpful to me. It's called Romans to You. And here's what they say. How is it good news that Adam's disobedience is our disobedience? Because here's why, if there were an obedient man, a perfect second Adam, he would be able to represent us in obedience superior to the way Adam did in disobedience. He could be our representative before the heavenly throne. He could be our defense when we had none. And that's why verse 14 says this, that Adam was a pattern of the one to come. So we see this pervasive spread and reign of sin and death, that it's, it's, it's like it's creeping into all areas and aspects of our life and society. But then Paul turns the hinge. and doesn't just talk about that. He begins to talk about the reign of grace and life. And first, what he's going to do, like a good teacher, is he's going to take the first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus, and he's going to contrast them. And then he'll kind of flip it and begin to compare them. Look with me at verse 15. Guys, this is, man, this is so beautiful says this, Paul says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. 
or like in the original language, it really emphasizes, but not like the trespass is the free gift. Like it's emphasizing there. They're not, they're, they're different. There's their contrastive works. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, how much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So Paul starts saying they're different because of the very act itself and the motive. Like one act is a, is a trespass. That word literally means uh, a fall. Like like a deviation from the path that God had in mind. It's the fall, Adam and Eve. It's, it's the fall. And then there's Jesus Christ who, who stays to the path of God. And his isn't a trespass. It's a, it's a free gift. And Adam's motive is self-assertion of, God, you said this, but I'm going my own way. You said your will be done. I'm going with my will be done. But here comes Jesus Christ who sticks to the path of God and says, not self-assertion, but self-abnegation. I'm going to lay myself down. I'm going to lay myself down. And I'm going to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. These works are so different. And then verse 16, it keeps going. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So now Paul is using all these big theological terms, but he's showing us the results are different. The, the, the work of Jesus Christ is that much more extensive, that the work of Jesus Christ doesn't bring condemnation, it brings justification. It doesn't just take away sin, it, it, it adds righteousness. This We've talked about this, this just as if I've never sinned, this right standing before God, having the smile and acceptance of God on our lives because of the work of the one man, Jesus Christ. And look at verse 17. He goes on, not just talk about how the motives and the actual work is different, not just the result, but the actual power of the work. He says this, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here is Paul showing um, this, this reign and power is different. This idea of reigning, meaning having influence and control. Now, now the very influence of the, the life and work of Jesus Christ supersedes the work of that first Adam. It's a superior work and and Paul is saying, um, this is so, so amazing, like formerly death was your king and it was reigning and you were slaves under death. You were under its tyranny. But Christ didn't just exchange, this is amazing, death's kingdom for a gentler kingdom of life. Like John Stott has said, instead, he delivers us from the rule of death so radically to enable us to change places with death, then to rule over death and reign in life. We become kings sharing the kingship of Christ. So when we sing like we did earlier that Jesus, you will reign forevermore, this feels weird, but you could turn it and say, we will reign forevermore. Like it's all of a sudden we're invited into that, that Jesus's obedience becomes our obedience, that Jesus's life becomes our life, his reputation, our reputation, his future, our future. It's staggering. It's like a brain freeze for the Christian. It's, it's hard. It's one of those things that Tozer said, you like bend your knee before and you worship. It drops you to your knees in humility and it drops your jaw in awe to think of the superior work of this one man, Jesus Christ. So Paul has said um, that they're different because Adam, one sin, multiplied to others, but Jesus Christ's one sacrifice covered every one of our sins, every one of our sins for those who put our, our faith in Christ. It's crazy. Adam's work went 
to the future. But Jesus Christ's work goes backwards and forwards. It's crazy. It has no, no scale of time. That, that Paul, uh, one of the reasons this, this section is like feels so heady is because he's like grasping for language to, to say it and communicate it to us of just the work of Jesus. And he uses things like abound and how much more and, and abounds, abounds, uh, like, like multiplies it just to try to communicate that. Man, uh, part of uh, my wife and I's story told this a couple years ago. It's been a little, little bit of time, but um, when I was 13, I got diagnosed with a autoimmune disease. And what's interesting, and there's lots of debate about this. If you're in the medicine field, we can talk about it afterwards. But you know, there's lots of things with the autoimmune disease that I had that they felt like could be contributing towards it. But the, but the main thing they said is like it, it's caused uh, genetically. And so um, someone in your past like had this disease, and it's just flowed through the blood of your family to you. And, and you got this disease. Um, the disease went kind of rampant on my body, began to attack my internal organs, attack my kidneys. I had a transplant by God's grace, a kidney transplant when I graduated high school. And then the unsuspecting thing happened. It came back again. And so about eight years ago or so, I was needing a transplant. I was really sick. Um, I remember like my... Um, my, my hair started to change color. And I had some people that didn't know me super well at school. They're like, man, are, are you getting, are you like frosting your, t- are you like dyeing your hair? Are you Backstreet Boys? And I'm like, no, thank you. I've got kidney disease, but thanks for asking, you know, but it's always a fun a little trump card. But I, uh, um, you know, I, I was super sick and the doctors are saying, you're going to be on dialysis for probably the next 15 years or so. Um, your blood doesn't match super well to the general population. It's going to be really hard. And Man, and God's miracle mercy, my wife, who had never stepped into a hospital, never been sick, never had a surgery. She'd been sick, but not like sick, sick. She'd never had a surgery. Um, she came and this one act donated her kidney to me, this, this gift of grace. We were already married. I wasn't picking her off for her kidney. It was, we were, it was, we were already in. And, but what's, what's amazing is like, th- this is like, I'm grasping like the best analogy I can try to think of. But what's amazing, like me inherited uh, th- this kidney, this kidney disease, this autoimmune disease, my wife, one act, one moment moment in time, and things began to change for me. My eyes regained color. My hair regained color. I began to be able to move around and exercise, and my kidneys started working again. And Like, change happened to me. And Paul, if you'll stretch with me so much more, it's the best I've got. He's saying, like, don't you see, Christian? Like, don't you see that, like, you, you inherited this disease, not just from what you, you did, but because sin was inherent in Adam. He was your representative. But don't you see another representative came along, and because of one single solitary act for the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ, the, the trajectory of your life is forever changed. It's forever changed. And to to, to accomplish that and to show that even more, he begins to go on and show some comparisons. Look with me in verse 18. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This idea of, man, it happens as a result of, not as a result of your actions. Like you did nothing to be made a sinner in Adam. You inherited that. He was your representative and it came to you. And then you did nothing to inherit the righteousness and life that comes in Jesus Christ. It was only through his work. Man, we're taking a kind of turn here in Romans, and, 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 and in Romans 5 here, it's the last time we've been talking about justification by faith that Paul really pounds that here in this book. And, but just hear it again afresh, that, that you have the smile of your Father in heaven, that you have an okayness, a just as if you've never sinnedness before your Father, not because of your own work, not because of, of something you have done in the past or haven't done, not because of a credit or debit, but solely through the grace and work of Jesus. 
Jesus Christ, your substitute, and because of faith in him, it's amazing. And Paul picks up this idea of the law again and says the law, which is this mirror, which provokes sin, doesn't just show our sin, but it provokes it. Where when you see, don't step on the grass, we want to we go do that. But the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That word is, it's not an English word that we have. It's only used twice in the whole New Testament. It, it, the best translation would be like, it's super abounded. Like it exceeded in abounding. Like you had this molehill of your sin. And then there's this mountain of his marvelous and majestic grace that abounds and supersedes all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, this second Adam who becomes our representative. Listen to this uh, quote. It's not on the screen, but just listen with me. For grace forgives sins through the cross, bestows on the sinner both righteousness and eternal life. Grace satisfies the thirsty soul. Just wonder if that's you this morning. Like a thirsty soul, it satisfies the thirsty soul. It fills the hungry with good things. Grace sanctifies sinners. Wonder if that's you this morning. Like I, I, I need some change. It, it shapes them into the image of Christ. Grace perseveres even with the recalcitrant. Like the stubborn, maybe that's you this morning. Like, yeah, that's me. Like so stubborn with God. Well, grace perseveres even there, determining to complete what it has begun. And one day grace will destroy death and consummate the kingdom. So when we are convinced that grace reigns, we will remember that God's throne is a throne of grace and will come to it boldly to receive mercy and to find grace for our every need. And this is all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, you did really well. We just plowed through a lot of stuff theologically, looking at this first Adam and second Adam. And just the question comes, like, so what? Like, like what do we do with that? I just want to throw a couple of things our way. Here's the first based on the quote that I just read. The first is, I want us to see that there's a throne of grace. There's a throne of grace. There's some of you that in here today, like you, you just feel trapped and strapped and chained by your sins. Uh, in fact, church could even be like a credit that you're trying to make up from a debit of like last night or last week and or this past week. And I just want you to know that God's throne is a throne of grace. And Hebrews 4.16 calls us to come boldly before his throne to receive mercy, to come boldly knowing what, because of your actions, no, because of my actions, no, but because you know that where sin increased, when you've got a God who reigns in a throne of grace, that grace increases all the more. And because of, of the person and work of Jesus Christ, the, the, the arms of God are, are so wide open to welcome any sinner, any brokenness, any deviation from God's path and welcome them to his gracious throne. And I've just got to believe there's some of us today that either our faith is not in Jesus Christ. You'd say there's two types of people. Well, based on what you said, I'm still in that first Adam. Like my life is just characterized by the sin and brokenness and death. But I need to be in the, first, in the second Adam. I need my life to be in Christ. I want to experience the reign of grace in life. I just want to invite you to do that today. I want you to invite you to like run to that throne of grace. And if you're a Christian, to like run to that throne of grace, knowing that there's no sin or brokenness that can impede the wide open arms of God welcoming you because of the grace and mercy that's in Jesus. That's just the first, th first thing. I just want you to see, I want to see that there's a throne of grace, that there really is a throne of grace. 
And then secondly, just going back to what we talked about at the beginning, there really are two types of people. There are those that are in Adam, and there are those that are in Jesus Christ. Um, This idea has been called traditionally just union with Christ. For those of you that are in Jesus Christ, hear this, you are in Jesus Christ. That's your identity now. Your main identity is not in this job or out of that job, in this city or in that city. Well, not in that relationship anymore. Now I'm outside of it. That's not your main identity. Your main identity is in Christ Jesus. Let me say it another way in light of kind of what we've been walking through the last couple of months, but even this last week as a country. Say it this way. There's no representative that can ruin your life like it was ruined in Adam. And there's no representative that can rescue your life like it was in Jesus Christ. I think if we're honest, there's some of us that we've been waiting on a certain representative to either either get out of our life or get in our life to bring ruin, to not bring ruin or to bring rescue. It could be a relationship you're looking at, like if I could have that or a job that would represent you, or if I could just gently push a little bit. I think for some of us, if we're honest, like we've been looking at American politics and we see it, we think if this person could get in, that would be rescue. And if this person could get out, that would be no more ruin. And we work it different ways, whether, regardless of how we came to it. But just hear this again, the truth from our standing in Jesus Christ, there really is no representative that can ruin your life like it was in Adam. No one, no one's got a shot to bring that type of pervasive, that type of pervasive, destructive shadows of sin, brokenness, and death. But hear this, there's no representative that can rescue your life like it was in Jesus Christ. Maybe to say it a different way, I'll say it like the old school preachers used to say it, Um, your worst day in Jesus and my worst day in Jesus really has already happened. If I'm honest, I bring like to this pulpit today, lots of anxieties, lots of fears about things I don't want to happen, things in my family, things in other circumstances that I'm afraid, what if this happens? But here's the truth from this text. Our worst day in Jesus really has already happened. We stared wrath, death, hell, judgment, and condemnation in the face, and we went free. Nothing could compare to the brokenness of seeing that, and nothing could compare to the glory of walking away from that. So to say it like the old school preachers again, our best day in Jesus Christ has already happened. Isn't that amazing? Like our, I don't have to look for some other type of standing, for some other type of position, for some other type of accommodation, for some other type of set of circumstances thinking that could be my best day. No, my best day in Christ has already happened because I've got life, justification, grace, reign, all that is true and right. Ephesians, I'm seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. I have the mind of Christ. I've been chosen by Christ. I'm holy in his sight. I have peace with him and access to him. As Shay preached last week, my best day in Jesus Christ has already happened. So I just would encourage you, believer in Christ, as, as I'm doing, like, like, do you rejoice and rest in your standing in Christ? Does, does it supersede all other standings and circumstances? Do you rest and rejoice in that? May we do that together. And then just lastly, there, there really are two kinds of people. There are those that are in Adam and those that are in Jesus Christ. There's some people that have, have looked at a text like this and have said, man, Paul must mean like universalism. Like he must mean that like, well, everybody gets in, well, everybody gets saved. And if you've been kind of tracking with our series in the book of Romans, you know, you know that's not the case. We've preached already from Romans 2 that there's gonna be a real judgment and there's gonna be a real account of brokenness and sin. We've preached that. We've preached this idea of justification by faith that we are saved through the finished work and graces in Jesus Christ alone. That means not that all get into that, but those who put their faith in, in that work. So it can't be that. That in a lot of the context of Romans. 
And what does that mean? It just means that it's got to, what I've been praying and hoping for me and for us is that it begins to stir this fire of, man, whatever circumstances God puts me in, I just want to make much of Jesus. Like I want to boast in Jesus. I want to proclaim Jesus Christ, even uh, in a broken way, not a, not a perfect way, but I long to proclaim him. When, when I was on um, just the plane Coming back yesterday, there was a uh, man, just a really uh, kind sister who was sitting, sitting beside me, um, and uh, she began to ask me some questions about why I was coming from Atlanta and began to tell her about some brokenness in my family and some sickness in my family. And she began to talk about, like I mentioned earlier, just the funeral she had just been to and, and how hard that was. And we started talking about some of the truths that we've talked about today. We started talking about this idea that for the Christian, like brokenness isn't out there. Brokenness is in here. And brokenness isn't just something that we do. It's something that we inherit. And we began talking about for the Christian that, that the life that comes in Jesus Christ, that true rescue, where in other areas it might seem like, well, I can, I can like adjust my checkbook or I can work harder, I can eat better. But no, for when it comes to the soul, like true rescue, true rescue comes through the work of another, not from you pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and like rescuing yourself, but true rescue comes outside of yourself, not inside of yourself. And it was so amazing. I'm not gonna forget this. There's no bow on the story, but she, she looked at me after we talked about grace and she was just like, I'm... I've never heard that before. Like, I, I've never heard that before. I always thought it was, I've got to do this, and then I've got to do this, and then I've got to do this. And, and, and man, just excited to see what God does in her journeys as I am for my own. But man, I, I long to be that type of person that whatever circumstances, God help me, like position me in such a way. Where I not only am, am someone that rests and rejoices in Jesus Christ, but make me someone that gets to be a part of the death interrupting process for others as I get to proclaim Christ to them as well. And just in closing, um, Gladys and Graham Staines were a missionary couple that went to India um, in the probably late 1900s. And they, uh, in around 1999, had been there, I think it was for about 15 years at that point, just working among leopards in India. Um, Gladys, Graham, and their two boys and their daughter. And around 1999, um, there was like a radical sect in that area that was persecuting Christians, and they trapped uh, Graham, the dad, and his two sons in the car and lit the car on fire and killed those three men. It was just tragic. And uh, Gladys and her daughter made a really difficult decision to stay. They're like, we're going to stay in India, and we're going to continue the work that God was doing through my husband and through my sons, we're going to stay here and persevere. And they, they continue to stay um, for, for decades in that area to where uh, Gladys would be compared to the second most influential Christian ever to step foot in India, aside from Mother Teresa, to where Gladys would win awards in India for love and for justice. But what's amazing is shortly after uh, that incident happened with her husband and sons when everyone thought she's gone, like she's out of here. She said this, and this kind of went to the newspapers in India and spread everywhere. She said, we must be people that stop the spread and fire of hatred and instead um, continue to spread the flame of Christ's forgiveness and love. And it was just crazy. Like people are like, who are you? Like that seems out of your mind. How in the world do you get there? How in the world do you become someone who does that in the, in the face of immense hatred towards you, towards what you believe, to who you are? How do you say, let's stop hatred and instead spread the flame of Christ's forgiving love? Here's how. Here's how you begin to see what your situation was apart from Christ in that first Adam that was sin and death and rain. You begin to see that that wasn't just 
just located out there. It was located in you that you were guilty. But then you begin to see that a second Adam came, that another perfect, perfect man, Jesus Christ, died in your stead, in your place, and rose from the grave. But you begin to realize that as he did that, that was you too, that his representation was on your behalf. And that begins to turn something in you like it did for Gladys and Graham, where you rest and rejoice in the work of Jesus and long to be someone that, that glorifies him and spreading it in whatever opportunity that our God will give us. So it's just some of the beautiful truth here in Romans. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and then just going to have a, a small opportunity where we can respond and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. So just pray with me, if you will. Father, we love you. Thank you for the great grace that is in Jesus Christ. Father, um, I just pray that there was anything that I said that's just not of you. I pray you just would take that away. For my brothers and sisters here today, if there's anything that was of you, I pray that you would continue just to drill that into their bones for, for their good and for our good, Father. Thank you that, um, that you speak, and when you speak, you speak in power in such a way to change our lives. We just confess we long to be the type of people that find our resting and rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And we just pray this for his name. Amen.